Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was just three weeks ago on July 24th that we celebrated the 125th anniversary of the birth of one of our greatest aviation pioneers, Amelia Earhart. She was born on July 24th, 1897. Just recently, if you've been watching the news, you'll know that they unveiled a statue of her in Statuary Hall there in Washington, D.C., She truly was an amazing woman and such a pioneer in aviation. She was born in Kansas, and if you think about it, being born in 1897, she was born 10 years before the first flight of an airplane by Orville and Wilbur Wright. So she's born before the airplane was ever even invented. So growing up, she didn't really have the opportunity to be around airplanes. She saw some at a distance as a teenager. But it wasn't until 1920, 1920 at the State Fair in Kansas, that she was able to get up close to an airplane. And she had saved up enough money that she was able to take a 10-minute flight. And that 10 minutes gave her a new vision of a different world. It gave her a vision of what could be. And it so inspired her, she knew she had to fly. So she started saving her money and she soon bought a very small little airplane so she could get up and fly. Now understand, this was 1920. And in 1920, you didn't really have women pilots. No, in 1920, that's when women got the vote. They didn't get the vote until 1920. This is the women's suffrage movement. This is the period in history where women are trying to speak up to say, we should be treated with respect and with equality. We shouldn't be told the things we cannot do. Oh, they had a long, long road to go and are still on that road a hundred years later. This was 1920. You didn't have women pilots, but she wanted to be one. In fact, Amelia Earhart became the 16th woman to get a pilot's license. 16th woman. It turned out that Charles Lindbergh during this time would ultimately fly across the Atlantic landing in Paris. And when Charles Lindbergh by himself flew the Atlantic and landed, my goodness gracious, what a historic moment. The world went crazy over Lindbergh. It was a few years later, people got to thinking, some people there, we need to have a woman fly across the Atlantic. But now, everybody knew that a woman couldn't do that on her own. And so they got two men as pilots, a pilot and a navigator, and then they got a woman so that she could be commander of the flight. That basically meant she was a passenger. You had the two men who were going to fly the plane. 
But they chose Amelia Earhart, and she went with those two men and made the flight across the Atlantic, and she became the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. And again, it made them heroes overnight. They came back home to the United States. They got a ticker tape parade there in New York, right down Broadway. As soon as she got back and had that parade, she started thinking, where do I go next? And she started talking about how she wanted to fly across the Atlantic alone. And finally, people agreed to take the chance and back the flight. And Amelia Earhart made the flight as the pilot by herself across the Atlantic. First woman ever to do so. And to accomplish that, that was so significant. And everybody was talking now about a woman pilot. She turned her attention. Where to next? She flew from Honolulu to Oakland, California. First woman to be flying out across the Pacific. She was now always looking, where to fly to next? Who am I going to meet next? What do I want to go see next? One of the things she started doing before she became a pilot was she had started collecting articles out of newspapers and magazines. Anything about a woman who was in leadership anything about women who were doing big things. And she collected them in her own little book so she could read them and be reminded, you can do this. Once she was now gaining fame and she was flying all these different places by herself, she wanted to start talking to more and more women to encourage them, especially young women. Dream your dreams. Don't be held back. You can do this. And one specific night when she was talking to a group of young women, they were all excited about it. And one of them spoke up and said to her, said, you know, all of us here are excited about flight, but it does seem so dangerous. And I want to read you what Amelia Earhart had to say. It is a risk, but I try not to be reckless. But I can't think of anything more horrible than to live a life imprisoned by safety. I can't think of anything more horrible than to live a life imprisoned by slavery, by, by safety. You know, that really is the tension. To have a dream, to have a vision of what you want to be, the world you want to be a part of, and then to feel, I may not be good enough, smart enough, talented enough, I may not be enough. And so you become afraid. And you become enslaved by safety. I think that's the tension we all face. I believe God gives all of us a dream, a passion in life, something that's going to make your life exciting and meaningful. And how often we begin to question, can I do that? Am I good enough? Am I enough? And out of fear, we become enslaved to staying safe. You know, that's what our scripture lesson was about this morning. I love the scripture lesson that we read this morning out of Genesis. It's only four verses, but I've always felt like it was such a powerful lesson. Because we're reading about how God comes to Abraham and says, Leave behind your home, your family, your kin, and go to a land that I will show you. Wow. 
I'm asking you to leave behind where you feel safe and you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know the struggles you will face. I'm asking you to go. And Abraham suddenly found himself in that tension. A God-given dream, a God-given vision. Am I enough? Can I do this? Would it be easier to stay home and be safe? That was the struggle that was going to be for Abraham. It's the struggle for us. And I also believe it was the struggle, really what a little mermaid is all about. And this morning I want us to continue on with the sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway, by looking at a little mermaid. Because it is a story about a teenager, a mermaid, a girl, about 16 years old, who goes up to the surface against her father's wishes and sees what the world can be, what's it like to be a human, and she gets an idea of a vision for something new in her world. And the question becomes, you have a vision of what the world could be, but are you enough? You've been a mermaid, are you enough to go up onto this, the land? Are you going to be afraid? Is it easier to stay under the sea where it's safe? When I've been working on this sermon this last week, uh, Marsh and I were so very blessed. We got to go be with our whole family this last week. All 12 of us got together for about five days in Colorado. It was the first time since Christmas of 2019 that all 12 of us were together in the same place. We've seen each other. We've traveled to Oregon, Colorado to see the families, and they've gone to see each other. But it's the first time for all of us to get to be together. COVID has been a difficult time. But we got together this last week for about five days. We played. We went riding on ATVs. We did zip lining, horseback riding. We got out on Lake Dillon. We just had a good time together as a family. But while we were there, I, one day I, I said to Kelly and the family, I said, you know, I'm working this week on A Little Mermaid. And suddenly Kelly, our daughter is 42 years old, she suddenly starts dancing around and singing A Little Mermaid. And she goes from one song to the next to the next. She knows every verse, every word. She is just singing it all. And I'm standing there dumbfounded. I said, I didn't know you loved The Little Mermaid. And she said, Daddy, I was nine years old when that came out. Every little girl loved uh, Ariel and A Little Mermaid. Just now over at Lifelight, I was standing backstage waiting our turn, and the group was out singing, and Wendy was standing back there in the back. She's singing right along every single word. Now, I feel fairly certain she wasn't nine years old when this came out. <laughs> we, we were laughing about it. I'm going, wow, all right. My, my granddaughter, who's 15, when she found out about it, she suddenly came in, Mara came in, and she started singing every verse. And I finally said, Kelly, why is this so important? And she said, well, Daddy, Ariel, Ariel gave us an idea that you can dream about something bigger than yourself. Ariel gave us the idea you can dream about your world, a new world, and encouraged us to strive to be the person who can go to a new world. And I said, that is what it's about. That is what it's about, a new world. 
having a vision and not being imprisoned by safety, being willing to try. It first came out on Broadway back on January the 10th, 2008. It had been almost 20 years since the film had come out, and now they'd come out with this. Uh, they wanted to go to Broadway. It had been a problem. You know, the reason they took so long to go to Broadway was how do you stage a musical that's supposed to take place under the sea? It's not like Beauty and the Beast. Okay, you can stage that. It's not like The Lion King. You're going to be in on the plains of Africa. No, no, this, this was going to be under the sea. And so they were discussing it, and they finally decided there's not going to be ropes, and there's not going to be pulleys and wires and this and that. No, it, it, we need to do something different here. Sierra Bogus, she was chosen to originate the role of Ariel on the Broadway play, Broadway musical. And they wanted them to be able to move across the stage fluid and quickly. And so they came up with the idea, you have the costume that goes down to the ground and they have the tail out the back, and they came up with the idea, why not put her on roller blades? They called them mare blades. So she got on her rolling wheels and she began to move easily all across the stage. It's because Sierra happened to be a competitive ice skater. So it was great for her, it wasn't so great for some of the other actresses, but... But she had it under control, and it kind of helped it to flow and to move. They would run on Broadway for a year and a half, 685 performances. It was successful, but again, it wasn't Lion King, and it wasn't Beauty and the Beast. It was just a lot harder to try to stage it than one of those. Before it came to Broadway, it had been an animated feature film. It came out in 1989. And it was a special film when it came out. You go all the way back to 1937, Walt Disney. Walt Disney in 1937 came out with um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It had taken four years to hand draw all of the cells. And everybody said it's going to bankrupt the company. Who's going to go sit through an hour and a half cartoon? Well, it turned out lots of people millions of people. They made a ton of money, hugely successful. And when Walt Disney got through with that in 1937, he sat down and thought, what's the next project? And what he decided, a little mermaid. And he worked on it and he couldn't get the storyline to go the way he wanted. So he turned to Beauty and the Beast and he worked on that and he couldn't get the storyline the way he wanted. So the third one he turned to was Pinocchio. Pinocchio was a huge success. And then it led to Fantasia, and then Dumbo, Bambi, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, 101 Dalmatians, The Sword and the Stone. I mean, you think of all the classics, one after another for the next 26 years that were just huge. And then Walt Disney developed lung cancer. He was only 65 years old. He'd been a heavy smoker all his life. In 1966, he died. And when Walt Disney left his production company, they kind of lost their vision, the inspiration, how to do this. You know, it, it really 
it really just changed the company. They continued to produce some animated films, but you didn't have the hits like I just read off to you, one after the other, for the next 20 years. So much so that when Michael Eisner became CEO of Disney, Jeffrey Katzenberg was in charge of animation, the question was, do we just do away with this part of Disney? And they decided, no, let's try one more. And they decided on A Little Mermaid. But to do A Little Mermaid, they also did something different. They turned to Broadway, to Alan, Alan Ashman, and uh, Howard Ashman, and to Alan Menken. And they invited them to come out to Hollywood. It kind of was very much like the Bible. I'm asking you to leave your home and your kin and all that's familiar and go to a land that I will show you. And that land was Hollywood. And when they got there, they didn't know anything about animated films. They had just got through writing and producing a, a little house of horrors and on off-Broadway and they had done a number of other musicals on Broadway. And it was Howard Ashman who said when he got there very clearly, he said, I want to make A Little Mermaid a Broadway musical. We're not just going to stick in songs that are cute. No, I want every song to tell the story, to push the storyline forward. And if you were to pull that song out, then you wouldn't understand the storyline. I want it to be a Broadway musical. So that's what they did. That's what they worked on. And they came up with so many of the wonderful songs. They wrote them all, the ones that you are hearing today. But the amazing thing was they wrote two songs. One was Kiss the Girl, and the other one was Under the Sea. And both of them were nominated for an Academy Award. Also nominated for Best Original Score. But you know, to have one movie have two songs nominated for Best Song by the same composers was just unheard of. Under the Sea would win the Academy Award the year that the movie came out in 1989. It was just a great, great song. And so it was that the show was so very successful and so very, very popular. You may remember the story. It started originally with um, Hans, Christ Hans Christian Andersen. He was Dutch. He wrote children's fairy tales. And if you've ever read Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale of A Little Mermaid, it's very dark. There's many antagonists of Ariel, so much so they beat down her spirit, and in the end, she takes her life. So when they got hold of the story, Howard uh, and Alan looked at the story, and they said, two things got to change. We got to change the ending. <laughs> it needs to be a Disney ending. And secondly, we got to change the role of the father. And so they did. They changed the ending. In the ending in the movie, it turns out that Ariel is now fighting the sea witch, Ursula, trying to get to be a human with feet on land. And things are not going well. And she loves the prince, Eric. And Eric gets on a ship and rams into Ursula and kills the sea witch. And now Ariel's free and they're able to get married. Well, when it comes to Broadway, there's a different ending. When it comes to Broadway, they don't have that ending. No, they have Ariel seizing a special box that holds her voice and fighting against 
the Ursula herself, and she kills the sea witch and frees herself. It really is a story to where now, 20 years later, women are being told, you take responsibility for your life and don't count on some man to save you and set you free. You can do this yourself. But the one thing that didn't change on whether it was the uh, animated film or whether it was going to wind up being um, on Broadway was the role of the father. Because what they do with the role of the father, the father starts off not liking Ariel thinking she's going to go wind up being a person on land. Doesn't like that at all. But in the end, when he sees how much she loves Eric and how much she wants to be a part of that world, he recants. And in the end, he'll sacrifice for her. He's willing to sacrifice himself and his kingdom so that she could be set free and have a chance at a new world. And for Ariel to discover a father's love, an unconditional father's love that is willing to sacrifice for you, well, that changed her too. I think that's what happens with Abraham. It's Abraham who experiences the love of a father that is willing to sacrifice and is willing to go with him so that he can leave behind all that has been safe and go to a land that I will show you. And that's what we are called to do. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And there's just two things I want to quickly share. First of all, I think what we're being told is don't just sit there. Do something about your dreams. For Abraham, God comes and says, leave behind all that feels safe and comfortable and I'm going to show you a land. Now, I've always enjoyed wondering, what if Abraham had thought about it and said, that sounds great, but I don't think so. I feel safe at home. I'm just going to stay here. What would have happened? And once I got to thinking about that, I got to thinking, I wonder if Abraham was the first one God went to. I wonder if he's actually at the number third choice or the tenth choice or... How many did God go to and say, leave behind all that feels safe and comfortable and go to the land that I will show you? I don't know. Maybe he was number one choice, but maybe not. The whole issue was, are you willing to try? Are you willing to get up and to try? And I think that's the question to us. I do believe God will give you a vision of something exciting in a new world. Are you willing to try to get up and do something? Or are you imprisoned by safety? Maybe many of you will know the name Pat Carroll. Pat Carroll was such a wonderful actress. And you may know, I mean, she was in so many TV shows and on movies. And I saw how just a few weeks ago, Pat Carroll passed away at 95 years old. Pat Carroll was the voice of Ursula of the, the evil um, person, the, the, the villain there, if you will, in Little Mermaid. She's an octopus, and oh, she just wants to rule the sea, and she is ruthless. She's the quintessential villain of a, of a Disney musical. And the truth of the matter is, she's the most kind and loving lady. She's a good Catholic. She's very faithful. And she said, 
of all the roles she would play over the decades being an actress, she said, getting to be Ursula was my favorite one. She said, there's something fun about being the villain, the villain of villains. And she loved doing it in spite of the kind of personality she is. But she talked about how'd she become an actress. Growing up, she felt that would be her passion. She wanted more than anything to sing and be on stage. And yet she didn't have anywhere to go to do that. And it really got frustrating. She's 13 years old and she had nowhere to go sing, no stage to be upon. And one day her mom came in and she was sitting there just crying. And her mom said, what, why, what are you crying about? I want to be on stage. I want to sing. I want to act. There's nowhere that I can go. And her mother said, go get the yellow pages. Now for all of you who are young, let me explain what are yellow pages. <laughs> I only say that because about 15 years ago, we had yellow pages delivered here to the office and some of our younger staff people literally said, how do you use these things? So before you had Google and the internet, you had the yellow pages. And so she went and brought the yellow pages to her mother and her mother turned and she turned to the Catholic Actors Theater. And she said, you want to be an actress? Call them. Now, suddenly you're 13 years old. You're being told to call this phone number to people you do not know, to a place where you do not know it is, have no idea what it's going to be like, and you're 13 years old. You call them. You think you want to do this? And Pat said, that was very intimidating. And said, it took a while for me to work up the courage and decide I really want a different world. And finally, she made the call. Her mom said, I'm not doing it, it's you. And she made the call. The people could not have been kinder, more encouraging. Come down. Six weeks later, she was in a one-act play on stage. Following that, she was in little uh, Our Town. And it was one right after the other. And her career just never stopped. I loved what Pat would look back on her life and say. I think it's the most important thing to teach our kids. Don't sit there and cry. Do something about your dreams. Most important thing you can teach your children, don't just sit there and cry. Do something about your dreams. God said to Abraham, leave behind all that's familiar, all that feels safe and comfortable, and go to a land that I will show you. And the question was, but Abraham, get up and do something. You're not satisfied with your life? You want something that is meaningful and making a difference? God will give you a vision. The question is, will you get up and do something? But secondly, understand, God was leading, guiding, and sustaining Abraham, this is not about what Abraham would do on his own. God said, I will make you a great nation. Abraham had to listen and then he had to get up and go, but it was God who was going to make him into a great nation. Abraham would go and he would mess up over and over and it's God who is able to, to bring healing and good out of his failures and mistakes. 
At times, he would start to doubt and question God's promise. When he's about 90 years old and Sarah was 80 years old, he's saying, how am I going to be the father of a great nation? No, he, he began to doubt, question, and yet God would never give up on him. It's like, Abraham, the fact that you're willing to listen and to go, you are enough. I can work with you. You are enough to make a great nation. And at 100 and at 90, they would have Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph to Moses to David to Solomon to Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. I told you, Abraham, you would be blessed to be a blessing and a blessing would truly change this world. It's what God did. Abraham, you're enough. Do you believe you're enough for God to use to build a better world? As I said, Sierra Bogus, she is the one who originated the role of Ariel there on Broadway. And she talks about how, you know, she's had such an incredible career. She's played uh, Christine um, on in Phantom, uh, she's played Cosette in Les Miserables. She's played in everywhere from Vegas to Broadway to West End and London. Had an amazing career. And yet she still talks about how from the very beginning when she first auditions to where she is now, she still at times feels like, can I do this? Am I good enough? Can I make it? And she always reverts back to when she was first starting. She was born there in Denver, Colorado, and she grew up, and her parents were not people of means, and yet she just loved to sing, and she sang and sang all the time, sang so much and was so good, she got in the Colorado Children's Chorale. She learned to play the flute and was a flautist who got into the Children's Symphony. She did skate, ice skate, and was a competitive ice skater. But the critical moment came when she was 17 years old. She had a drama teacher, and her name was Nancy Priest. And all the kids just called her the priest. And now and then she would preach to them. And it was on one of those days that she was giving them some important message that Nancy said to all of her students, you are enough. You are so enough. It's incredible how enough you are. And Sierra wrote that down in her book. And she says to this day, whenever she gets ready to go on and perform, and those butterflies are coming up and all the anxiousness, she will say to herself, you are enough. You are so enough. It's incredible how enough you are. For Abraham, God said, will you leave behind all that you have and feeling safe? Don't be imprisoned by safety. Go to the land that I will show you. And I know you're going to make mistakes and I know that you will doubt, but you're enough. You are so enough. And I will make you the father of a great nation. And I believe with my whole heart that God wants to use each and every one of us giving us a vision, a passion, something you're excited about, a whole new world. 
if you're willing to get up and try. And though you make mistakes and fail, God is there to use you because you're enough. You're so enough. You're incredible. It's incredible how enough you are. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.